I read a statistic that said 19% of men don't have a single close friend. And I remember when I ran my business, it was very lonely. You know, somebody once told me, they said, you're going to grow your business. You'll have all these employees. And one day, all your employees are going to throw a party and they're not going to invite you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and I'm so pumped to have Nick Gray with me today, my new friend, Nick Gray. Nick, he's air pumping. He's excited. He's going to be on a grilling podcast. He lives in Austin, Texas, so this probably feels like a little bit of a home game, having some grilling going on. Nick is the founder of Museum Hack and the author of the book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. He has a really cool mission that I want to talk to you guys about, but while we're talking to Nick... We're going to be grilling some chicken. The, the old standby, the Alabama Poultry Grill. So, uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. What are you grilling? Is it just the, the whole chicken or we got some drumsticks or what's cooking? So I've, I've done that a couple times before. One of my most favorite uh, things to do is to do, and I'm giving them the, the blue glove treatment if you don't see. like I've, You can have all these utensils, but it's just easier when they're raw just to put some gloves on and slap them on the grill that way. Oh, my God. So I'm doing uh, chicken thighs, and if you check out, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you can see that on grill yes. cam there. We're doing some chicken thighs, bone in, right? And we hit it with some heavy seasoning. I actually got a bunch of them too, by the way. Um, what seasoning did you use? Do you talk about this, or is that proprietary? I do. No, it's not proprietary. Um, I only do it when I'm asked because they're not a uh, they're not a sponsor of the show. But I will tell you, I'm trying to get this guy on the show, so. Uh, Malcolm reads How to Barbecue Right. If you ever go to that website, he's like a, a barbecue savant. And uh, he's got an awesome TikTok channel. As a matter of fact, I did a couple of his recipes for Thanksgiving, and they were a huge hit, and I did credit him for it. Um, but, yeah, Mal- Malcolm reads uh, barbecue rub here. I think this is the, the AP. And we just had a bee fly into the grill. How about that? First time ever on the show. <laughs> had a That's bee. extra bonus. Try to go suicide into the grill. <laughs> That's what we call some bonus protein in the biz. Yeah, we made it out. I think he realized what he was flying into. Separate to grilling, which I love grilling, but have you ever had a Chinese hot pot? Hot? Okay, maybe. I've eaten a lot of Chinese, but I don't know. Do you know what it is? It's like a bowl. It's very unique, and I could only find it in New York, supposedly. But it's a bowl. It's basically you cook your own soup, and you get little shears of the meat, okay. and you drop it in, and it's sort of an interactive dinner experience. That sounds incredible. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I like interactive dinners. There's a there's a sushi restaurant here in Birmingham. I'm not sure they do this all over the place, but uh, it's called Jinsei. It's in Homewood, and they have... They bring out some raw strips of beef and this like flaming hot rock, right? And you just like yes. lay the beef over the rock, and then they have this like little sauce you put over it. And right. uh, I know that's probably like a lot of people have those, but I think it's great. And I, uh, I love that. It's I one of the few. Idea. I can I can lure people that are afraid of sushi to the sushi restaurant with the promise of cooked beef that you can actually yes. cook yourself. You know. That's so nice. I'm imagining that we could set up a little restaurant where each cedar gets their own little grill. And I think people might be mad though. They'd be like, "What did I pay for? I thought I thought I came. Yeah, I'm doing all the work myself." Isn't that weird? Like some of the fanciest restaurants around make you do a lot of the cooking, right? They're just selling you the right? experience, which 
I don't know. I experienced that a lot. I don't need to pay for it. Uh, but <laughs> one thing I want to add is uh, I, I mentioned it before. Nick is the author of, go ahead and tell him the name of your book, Nick. The name of my book is The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. So I love this. And um, I'm not someone you need to convince to have a party because I love throwing. It's like I get it generationally. My grandparents were big cocktail party throwers. And I think it's so great. I think it's a really good time uh, or a good way to sort of connect with somebody. Um, But I will tell you, for the first time in the history of this show, thanks to the title of your title of your book it is i have a cocktail while we're grilling out right so this is um a whiskey and coke hold the coke no i'm kidding um this is a whiskey and sweet tea which is the official drink of jared morgan my favorite thing wait are you really doing whiskey and sweet tea that's incredible yes so if oh it's so good if you have never done this before a sweet just any whatever your favorite sweet tea is, iced tea for those our producers from the UK. He was like tea, and I, no, 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 I ice sweet tea, right? And uh, you put you put some whiskey in there. You'd be amazed at how well those flavors marry. They just play off of each other. It almost comes off as like a little bit of a smoky sweet tea. Nice, outstanding. It is the one like go to drink that I make. It if I'm if I'm like flipping burgers on the porch on a Friday afternoon. That sounds great. It sounds tasty because you got the the taste. You got a little spice with that tea. And I would yep. just like to say for any listeners, welcome to this monumental experience. <laughs> the first grill and drinks happening here. It is That's an right. honor to be here. Before we get in, I want to get into Museum Hack, but um, we've already talked a little bit about the book. You're trying to get people to host uh, cocktail parties, which to me is like, sign me up, you know, say no more. Um, but what what is it that's drawing you to that as a mission? What do you think? Why do you think the world needs somebody to encourage more parties to happen? I read a statistic that said 19% of men don't have a single close friend. And I remember when I ran my business, it was very lonely. You know, somebody once told me, they said, you're going to grow your business. You'll have all these employees. And one day, all your employees are going to throw a party and they're not going to invite you. And (laughs) (laughs) it's true. That is very true. It's true. It's true, right? And I think that that's real. It's lonely to be a business owner. It's lonely to be an entrepreneur. And we need a support group. We need friends and a network that we can bounce ideas off of simply to be a sounding board at some times. And so I'm trying to encourage people to host a party, a simple cocktail party. I think I figured out a formula for what I call the MVP, the minimum viable party. What's the easiest party (laughs) that you can throw? And it's just with a simple self-serve bar and some snacks. You don't have to grill like Jared's doing. You don't have to know how to make cocktails even. But the idea is people come over to meet people. And as adults, it's really hard to make new friends. When, in fact, as we get older, we need more friends than ever. So that's my silly mission. That's what I'm obsessed with. I couldn't agree with that more. I think it's not just, I think it's, it's certainly the case for business owners and entrepreneurs. But I think anybody who has made sort of like either parenting a priority of their life or being successful in their career or whatever, it gets lonely, right? Because, you know... I just I remember I, I left college uh, and and got right to work because I thought <laughs> the theory was I'm going to go make some money and then I'm really going to be able to have a good time right we're really going to yeah. have and the truth was by the time you made the money 
the good the money to have a really good time, you're too tired. Like let's <laughs> let's just go back home. Lights out by nine. It's true. It's true. You're wiped. It's the truth. And so you kind of have to be coached back into it. Um, but I love your formula. And you don't even have to do that much. I, can I share like my, my cocktail party hack, by the way, yes, with the world? Yes, yes, I want to hear not just the ones that you do, but you said something interesting, which is that you were raised in a household oh, and yeah. in a family that was hosts. So I'd be curious to hear about that too. But first, what's your secret or what do you do that works well? My secret, and this is particularly for uh, female guests or, or uh, people who enjoy drinks that are, are usually statistically for females, right? So so uh -huh. not a strong punch you in the face kind of drink. So the easiest thing, especially if you're not, I had a, a friend of mine, Joey, uh, who was a bartender for years, taught me this. So you go to the liquor store and you get flavored vodka. So Ciroc, you get, uh, what's the one uh, out of Austin, right? Oh, yes. I know the one you're talking they've about. They've got the cranberry an and they've got all the, Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forget it. Well, we're blowing it. They're not a sponsor, so whatever. Uh, but you get some flavored vodka and then you get literally Sprite or 7-Up or whatever, and you pour these two things in a glass, right? And if you want to get real fancy, you just have like a bottle of some kind of syrup, whatever, peach, whatever, but you don't even have to do that. Literally, flavored vodka, Sprite. The trick is you pour it in a glass, and then you put a garnish on it, and that garnish could be literally anything, an orange slice, a grape, a whatever, and then you hand it to your guest, and you give it a name. So, hey, this is a uh, Be Home by Midnight. And they go, really? Yes. And the fact that it tastes good and it has a garnish in it, they go, oh, my God, it's so fancy. And you literally poured vodka into a Sprite. I love that idea. And you know what you're doing there is you're exemplifying one of the concepts I like, which is hype your party up. Give yeah. it a special drink. Tell people they're going to have the best cocktails ever. When I first started to host parties, I'd tell people, I'm going to make the best old fashions you've <laughs> ever had in your whole life. I did not know how to make an old fashioned. I still don't know how to make an old fashioned. All that I had was like some whiskey, seltzer, and bitters. But you know what? I hyped up that party and I showed excitement in promoting it to fill the room, to get people to come. And that's what they want. People just want to socialize. Nobody's going to show up to your party and be like, this is only a bottle of Sprite and some maraschino cherries. <laughs> no, they're not going to leave and start a rival party. They're going to be happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah, they're they, going to be thrilled. They're going to be thrilled. And that's what these parties are. The purpose is that you'll be successful as a party host when you can help your friends meet other new people. Nobody really creates the type of environment for structured new friend gatherings and I think I figured out a way to do that. I think that's so cool. And so, you know, hyping up really anything uh, is a way to get people engaged. People respond to excitement, right? So you're excited about your party. People come in. And adults want something to get excited about, by the way. Like, it, we only get two days out of the week where we're two nights really out of the week, Friday night and Saturday night, where you can go do something. The rest of the week is covered up with work. And so you've only got two chips to trade in for something to do. People want to have something to be excited about. Um, yeah. And that's, I, I love it. So what is the, um, now if you don't want to spill the whole formula and send people to your book, we can. No, I want to tell everything. I want to share it all. Right, so so what, is, what is the formula for the two-hour cocktail party? The perfect or the best, with the, you know, the Nick version. Well, I'm going to say something that you might think is totally controversial, but I actually think that the best night 
to host a cocktail party, at least using my formula, is on a Monday, a Tuesday, or a Wednesday night. And I'll tell you why. Controversial, right? I love it. Let's hear it. Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights tend to be socially competitive nights. As you said, you only have those two nights for date night, for big parties, things like that. What does it mean? It means that those nights are harder for people to say yes to. Okay. Now, the whole format and formula of my book is to give people, remember, the MVP, the minimum viable party, the biggest results with the least amount of effort. And the number one thing I've found that will guarantee a successful party is, are you able to fill the room? Now, for me, that's about 15 to 20 people. I've found that 15 to 20 is the right number. Anything less than 15 and you don't hit a critical mass, you walk into the room and you're like, oh, this is kind of dead. More than 20 and the icebreakers get to be too long, it can get to be a little too rowdy. Okay. The general gist for your listeners is if you want to know like, what's this book about? I'll tell you everything about it. Just think about the Nick party formula, N-I-C-K. If it's okay with Jared, I'll go through all those letters. Yeah. N stands for name tags. Everybody at your party is going to be wear a name tag. Do you hate this idea or would you be open to hosting a party for your friends and neighbors where people wear name tags? 100% because I'm terrible with names and yes. I think it. I think it just tears that. Oh, he told me his name, but I can't remember. Yeah. Is it Stan? Is it is it Dan? Is it? It just takes that away. It takes that away. Dale Carnegie said the sweetest sound to anyone's ears is the sound of their own name, and I find that especially for spouses, for partners, for plus ones, the name tags turbocharge the new connections, and it helps these people with social anxiety or who are introverts to feel more welcome. Name tags show that this isn't a party of just your neighbors where there's these clicks. It makes it a more of a safe space to welcome new guests and things like that. So everybody has name tags, even if you're not like networking. That's the number one thing I hear, especially from really young people. Oh man, this isn't a networking party. I don't want to do name tags. And this this is a hill that I will die on. Similarly yeah. for grilling, is there hills that you have that you would die on where people are like, oh man, I'm not going to do that rub or something like that. Oh, a hill I will die on is I'm using a pellet grill. I'll die on yeah. that hill. Like a hundred percent. They're great. Ooh. They, f- I know people like bar- barbecue purists want to come out here and build a fire, uh, you know, like Aaron Franklin in, in Austin. Right. And that's great. I hate hats off to him. I don't have time to do that. And so I get to grill more when I use these grills. That's a hill I'll die on. I like that. So a pellet grill. And what do you use for those pellets, by the way? Do you have a brand or something that you like? Yeah, I mean, you just jump on whatever uh, whatever thing is. I'm actually going to grab some out of here, like pellet grill uh, tutorial there. So if you see on the grill can, these are these little wood pellets. And this compressed wood, this is actually hickory wood that's compressed into little pellets. And you throw it in the back. It has a little auger in there that just pushes it out and burns them. It creates smoke and heat. Uh, but you can do it in a real dialed up way so you don't have to like just... I don't know, you turn it on and you're ready to cook in, in 20 minutes. So just like you found the benefits of pellets and people are like, oh man, I don't want to use pellets. You know, I want I found the same thing with name tags that as I've coached hundreds of people how to host their first party, they always say, oh my God, those name tags really helped. I'm glad I did them. Yeah. So that's the N, name tags for the Nick um, party formula. The I is exactly what you asked about, uh, icebreakers. Now at my parties, I find to do two and a half icebreakers simply to help mix the room up and break up the conversations. 
because I want a lot of new collisions happening at these parties, and it's what will make your party successful. And as a business owner, you'll be seen as a super connector within your community because you're introducing all these other people. I'll take a pause and ask Jared just to see how you feel about the icebreakers. Have you done icebreakers? Do you have any hesitation or questions about them? It's always something that I probably groan about. When someone's going to do an icebreaker, you're like, Ugh. but then if it's a good one, right, it ends up being fine. It's one of those things that you groan about, but then when yes. it's over with, 99% of the time, it has gotten the room moving, right? So even when you're like, ah, whatever, it got the room moving. So yeah. Yeah. Like momentary uh, discomfort of, oh, God, we're doing this. But then before you know it, you're talking to people you didn't know, and now you've got the room going. And that's the purpose, right, is to get the room going, to build rapport, to just loosen up. Because as a business owner, your time is limited. And when you go to an event, you want to know who to mix with. You want to talk with other business owners. You want to mingle and say, oh, what are you guys doing for hiring right now? Who are you doing for Facebook ads? What's going on with your inventory? Are you guys warehousing? <laughs> when you do an icebreaker, it allows everybody to sound off. And the ones that I use, by the way, a good icebreaker is a fast icebreaker. So some of your listeners may say, oh, I've done some bad icebreakers before. Well, many times bad icebreakers are uncalibrated. So I'll tell you how to lead an icebreaker that's calibrated. At the beginning of the night, when there's no rapport, when people are a little stiff, you simply want to do what I call a green level one. And the one that I always do that works 100% of the time at the beginning of a party, you just say, hey, everybody, I got some really cool people, my neighbors, my friends, I wanna mix my different groups up. We're gonna do an icebreaker real quick to help encourage you to say hi to somebody new. Let's go around the circle, I'll go first, say your name, briefly say what you do for work or how you spend your days, and then tell me one of your favorite things you like to eat for breakfast. What's your go-to breakfast food, okay? Now, that might sound like a middle school type question, like, oh, that's so cheesy, but I'll tell you why it works because it doesn't put social pressure on people to think of a superlative. Oh, what's your favorite book? Yeah. What's your favorite movie? It's not an awkward, vulnerable question. What's your worst first date? Those are bad questions. The answer is usually quick, it's fast, doesn't take long to think about, and there's minimal judgment from people there. Nobody's gonna look at you and be like, that motherfucker eats pancakes? Fuck that guy, I'm out. <laughs> who, the hell eats, who the hell eats Eggos anymore? <laughs> No, it shares a little. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're not you're not like trying to one e one up each other with an answer. Like if it's your favorite right. book, you're like, boy, I better say something intelligent. You know, right. I better rather than if it's breakfast food, like eh, one guy it's cereal, one guy it's pancakes, whatever, whatever, right? Yeah. It's quick. It's quick and it's fast and it doesn't take hard to think about. So that's one I use at the beginning. Now about an hour later. I have people do what's called an advanced icebreaker. And the theory is you want people to, to give an answer that would be value add to the room. The question I like to do is, say one of the best pieces of media that you've consumed recently. Could be a podcast, a book, a movie, uh, a show you binge watched on Netflix. So I like that one. Or if you were doing it, Jared, you could maybe ask, what's your favorite city or life hack for Birmingham, Alabama? Mm. Favorite dog park, favorite restaurant, little bookstore, cafe. What's a place that you like and you want to support in town that you think others might not know about? I like that. Okay. Yeah. Are you asking me that now? Yes, I am asking you for it now, but also I would just encourage you to use it. I think you could crush it with that. 
Yeah, I will. I will not. I, w- I will go on a rant about a barbecue joint. So let's not go down that road because we don't have okay. two hours on the podcast. But so you've got name tags and icebreakers. Yep. Right. And then the C, if pres- presuming you spell Nick N I C K. Yep. N I C K. The C stands for cocktails only. No dinner. Do not do a dinner party, and I'll tell you why. Dinners can tend to be stressful. And they can add to the anxiety for the host. There's dietary requirements. It blows up what's meant to be a simple gathering. And my whole purpose, my mission is to say, look, we need to gather more. You need to invite your friends over. You need to network. You need to build your network of acquaintances. And you can't do that if you're stressing about dinner. Now, for someone like Jared, it might just be natural for you to throw some thighs on the grill and grill that. And if that's easy for you and no stress, I guess that's okay. But when you market this as a cocktail party, it's easier for people to say yes to. They can just pop in. Yep. Now, it's not about the drinks. It's not about the food. It's about the people. And so when you make it easy for that, what do you think about that? What would you serve at your party? Yeah. I mean, cocktails, easy. I'm a big whiskey guy, so I have like a ton of different whiskey selections. So I'd have some things out where you could taste some different ones, right? If you wanted to try some new things, I always find that's a good icebreaker too. Be like, hey, have you ever tried this one? Hey, this one's like rolled in a honey barrel and all this, you know, like all this crazy stuff. And that usually kind of gets people to mingle a little bit. But I like that. Yeah, it does It does add a level of complexity when you start adding dinner. I guess you could maybe like a step, if you wanted to do it, you could maybe grab some like finger foods. You put some things yes. out that maybe you just grab from the store and make it super easy. But what I heard you say was like, Make it simple, right? Don't make it like a thing, which don't make it where it discourages you from having them, right? That's the whole point. So finger food's fine. Some baby carrots, some nuts, some chips and dips, some guacamole. But I I don't want this to stress people out. And that's the number one thing I hear from people is they say, wow, I really spent too much time and money on the food. People really didn't drink or eat that much. It was all about the conversations. Okay, makes sense. Cocktails only. The K then, for N-I-C-K, the K stands for kick them out at the end. It's only two hours long. Now, this is why we do it on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday nights. Because when your party is only two hours, again, it makes it easier for people to say yes to. This isn't a big bender where it's going to be up till midnight. This is a party that other business owners can come and swing by. And when it's a two-hour gathering... It also makes it easier for you. I mean, everybody, it's a work night. It's a school night. Like, we got to go to bed. And it allows you to clean up your house, to sort of kick people out so you can get a full night of sleep. And that's what—that—that's the gist of what I'm all about, is trying to teach people that the biggest benefits come to you when you can make hosting a habit. Yeah. So that's what I'm obsessed with. What a cool con- – like, so the kicking out thing, it really is – because it's not – that's not a – that's not a common practice, right? You sort of throw a party – and it's maybe it's suggested what the end time is at the end, but people just sort of linger and you just kind of let it happen. I like the uh, the idea of having it. Do you have like a a classy way to sort of signal to people that the party's over? Yeah, the thing that I found is when you set the expectations, you give people ahead of time, you give them an idea of what to expect, and I do that by sending out the invitation and the RSVP that lists both a start time and an end time. 
Now, many people, when they invite someone to a party, they only list a start time. So when you list both a start and an end time, that sets the expectation. Then at the party, about 15 minutes before it's scheduled to end, I'll make a last call, similar to how you might do at a bar. I'll say, hey, everybody, thank you so much for coming. I've had a great time. Party's scheduled to end about 15 minutes. So if you want to grab a last drink, say hey to somebody new. I'll be back in 15 minutes and we'll snap a selfie or something like that, but thank you so much for coming. Using little things like that to make an announcement, here's the key, is it gives people the permission to leave. Many times the first people feel this like, ooh, you know, I don't wanna leave, I don't wanna mess up the energy. But when you end things on a high note, when you end it when everybody's having fun, number one, people will love your parties. They'll recommend their friends to go to your parties. So you'll start to meet cool people doing awesome things in town more naturally. And number two, they're ready and willing to come back. They know that you host a good event that's efficient, that helps them meet people, that's fun. And so that's what I'm all about is like ending it with, I guess you call it like generous leadership saying, thank you so much. I said it's two hours. We're going to wrap up now. I hope you'll come to my next one. There's new people every time. Please come back. Thanks for coming. Now leave. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And that's the only way it really does work on a weeknight, right? Is to do yeah. it and have a, and you get people to show if it's two hours, like, all right, I can, I can invest two hours. That's great. Yeah. I, lo I love that. And you know, I think if you can get really good at this skill, I think people underestimate how valuable those kinds of things can be not just to your personal life, for sure. You make more connections, make more friends. That's kind of what it's all about. But also in your career, like being able to be, like you said something earlier that I thought was was really striking and I want to call back to it. So you said, yeah, like a lot of young people say, oh, this isn't a networking event. I'm not going to wear a name tag. So this, um, this, this assumption that the only social interactions that are valuable when you're trying to build your career are ones where we're walking out and I'm handing your business card and you're handing me, and can, I, can I help you? Can you help me? Can I have to, like that? I, I have found those interactions to be horrible and never pan out. Like you just, you hand your business card out. Oh, Hey man, I'm starting an online test monitoring company. Oh, cool. I'm in commercial real estate. And you go, I, I, I mean, I, maybe I need a building one day. Like, I, I, you know, it's not a, it's just not a, a very value add interaction, especially when you walk into those interactions, knowing that a person is only talking to you to see if they can get something out of it. I yes. think the, the, so we had a thing that we did at Proctor U for years. It was one of the most effective things we ever did. And it dealt with a party. We would throw parties at these conferences and people would go and they would have a great time and they would associate us with the great time. But we would also do these dinner parties and we would invite uh, a whole bunch of people. Maybe they were customers, maybe they were not customers. Um, and we would just say, hey, listen, we're just going to have this big social gathering. Come. This is actually, I'm going to shout out to Stephanie Dilly. This was the, this was our chief marketing officer. She's brilliant. And this was her little move that she did. And it was really effective. You bring all these people in, you stand up at the, you get this big room full of people. We're at this nice restaurant and you stand up and you say, hey, I know everyone's here. Some of you guys know each other. Some of you don't. Um, thanks for coming to dinner. There's one rule tonight and it is that you cannot talk about work at all. Period. Mm. No work talk. And so people go, ah, and you go, no, seriously, no work talk. You can talk about anything else. And then you sit down, and what ends up happening is you have people that hang out for an hour and a half, having a great dinner, sharing appetizers. Oh, is that good? And next thing you know, by the end of the night, people 
you try, also you try to sit people next to someone you've never you don't know, and then by the end of the night you're friends. And and what's interesting about that is at the end of the night the people were begging to talk to us right. about work because now. They trusted us and they liked us. And they go, oh, this is a nice guy. I want to, hey, what do you think about my blah, 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 blah. And you were off and running and you were actually having genuine interactions with people. Um, but that only came from having sort of crafting the right kind of social interaction to kick it off. Yeah. And I love that concept because you're adding a rule to the social gathering. Don't talk about work. You're giving people a boundary. And what I've found is that by adding a little bit of structure, it makes it more easy for them to be successful at playing the game of meeting new people. When you simply just host a dinner, like you said, and just throw everybody into a room, you know, you're kind of left up for the extroverts to be the most successful and everybody else just is there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, you can't, you, you just can't leave that up to chance. You've got to sort of like engineer it to happen. Otherwise, you're going to have the, those knuckleheads that are going to be like whipping out their business card and going, well, call me when you need blah, 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 right? Now, you need a website design, call me. And like, I, I'm saying that with love. Like I used to do that in my yep. early 20s when I was starting out as like a little web entrepreneur, a little idiot that was trying to build people's websites. Like that's what I would do. I would go out and go, hey, man, hey, hey. And, and not understanding that that's not, that's not how like, big business gets done. That's not how like meaningful relationships, business relationships or yes. personal relationships actually start is by starting it with an agenda. It's the, the most meaningful ones start with a, hey man, where are you from? Right? Oh, I'm from, you're, you're talking to you. I'm from Austin, Texas. Oh man, this guy knows about barbecue, right? And you start talking about right. what are the safe subjects, right? Safe subjects are always food, the city you're in, weather, Recent sporting event. Those are the four. I would. I would. The four pillars of safe conversation that I would tell people. Um, and then the other thing about business interactions, I had this rule that I learned from a guy in college who was like the class president at a university. He was like, always got a rule, man. So at every party you go to, always have a drink, but never be drunk, right? Oh. So it's like, I you find ways to have a drink in your hand at all times but never overindulge to where you become sloppy. One of the ways I would do that, right? And I feel this is weird. I'm giving this secret out. But one of the ways I would do is that I would start, if I was in a social interaction and it was a business interaction, I would start with a whiskey and Coke, right? And then every refill after that was Coke, right? But it looks the same, yes. right? And so you're never walking around with an empty glass. You're never walking around like you're not social or having a good time, but you're not... Um, Calling ex-girlfriends in front of, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're, keeping, you're keeping your act together. I like that. And you're being sharp and you're being intentional about it. Yeah. And I think that's the differences. Also, how hammered can you get in a two-hour cocktail party? By the way, I guess you probably could. <laughs> this isn't a race. If anybody's listening. I got some friends that would say, would say challenge accepted. Let's check the chicken really quick. Let's go to grill camp. This guy, actually, I need to turn this down a little bit. This is going a little faster than I wanted it to. You hear that sizzle? I hear that. It sounds great. Yeah. This one here in the middle. So one of the things um, that I love to do with chicken thighs is Alabama white barbecue sauce. Now, have you ever had that before, Nick? I've never. What is it? So it's a, uh, when I first, I'm originally from Florida. When I moved to Alabama, the, when I first heard about that, that sounds gross, right? But it is uh, a mayonnaise based with like vinegar and tang. It's a tangy barbecue sauce that you put over poultry. Uh, that marries really well with that kind of, you know, middle of the road, good smoked poultry flavor. And they kind of have like a tangy, creamy barbecue sauce. 
It's amazing. If you hadn't had that. Silly question. Do you yeah. add that after the grill or is it a marinade? After. I mean, I, yeah. I guess you could, but you know, if, if mayonnaise, if you cook mayonnaise down, it just sort of turns to oil, right? Huh. And so a lot of times, like when in our house, when we make uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, instead of putting butter on the bread, we put mayonnaise on the bread because it crisps it up really, really well, it gives it a little bit of a tang. But if you if you were to cook mayonnaise down, it wouldn't it wouldn't um, congeal up like a red barbecue sauce would. It would mm. just kind of melt away. And so you put mm. it on after, as you're serving it, and right before you eat it, you just kind of drizzle some on the top, and kind of treat it like treat it like ranch dressing almost. Uh, now I want some. See, this is <laughs> the thing with this podcast. This is. I was thinking about how you were talking before that how we're talking about bragging about our drinks. It makes your parties special and your gatherings interesting when you do name tags and icebreakers. It's similar to your podcast, how this has been so successful and it's so unique because you're grilling. It's it's slow-smoked business. Like We're talking about business and grilling, and that's something truly unique and special. I think it's great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it was the whole idea behind this podcast was... Um, authenticity, right? And, and if I was to try to stand up and be Gary Vaynerchuk, who I have a ton of respect for, um, I can't be Gary V, right? If I wanted to stand up and be like a Harvard Business School type, that's nah, just not really who I am. But I can stand in the backyard next to a grill and pontificate on things that I believe in for sure, right? And so that's kind of what I was was shooting for. And and to have guests like you on too. I mean, I, I like talking about... Um, really tactical things. And that's why I was so drawn. It's funny because if you go to your website, you say, you probably know me as the found, more of the founder of Museum Hack. And yeah, maybe, but like, I was so excited to talk to you about this book because yeah. it's right down the middle of the plate for my audience, which is people that are looking for tangible things they can apply to their life and career, um, like tactics and things that they can, they can use. And, and who couldn't use like, you know, these kinds of social interactions. And just talking about authentic networking, like you were saying, those things where you show up and you just shill out business cards, it feels so transactional. Nah, so I hope yeah. I'm giving your listeners some ideas that like you can build your network. You should build your network, especially what I found was your network of acquaintances. Oh, yeah. Because many times it's not our best friends who refer us business. It's people who kind of like barely know us. Yeah. And you, and so everybody, it's like the, I know a guy phenomenon, right? You know, where you like, you just want to be known as the guy. And oh, I met, didn't I meet some guy that does that? And you're like, oh yeah, that was Jared. Like, and you call him up, Hey man, like I know a guy that needs some help with, and next it's the, I know a guy thing. And it makes the guy feel cool that knows the guy and everybody wins. Right. Yes. Yes, I like that. It is, it's like the I know a guy. And when you host one of these parties, by the way, you don't even have to sell your business. You're not promoting or shilling it. You just mention it when you do the icebreakers and it becomes, I don't know. The one thing I found was that everyone wants to be invited to a party. It's a gift yes. that you get to give. When you host a party, everyone wants to be invited. And so it's just, it's great. Most people like parties, but uh, and everyone wants to go, but no one um, does what you're doing, which is to like, try to hone that skill a little bit yes. and like really get good at it, which I think is, is a cool thing. Now, I don't want to bury the, I don't want to bury the story totally though. Tell us about museum hack. What was it and, and how did you start it? I started this business that did renegade museum tours. That means they were non-traditional museum tours. I didn't work for the museum. I would just lead people around some of the biggest, best museums in America. I started at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York city 
And it became this underground sensation. And then I grew it into a company that was doing millions of dollars a year in sales. We had about 50 employees. We were all over America. And really where we made our money from was uh, corporate team building experiences. So we would take these amazing museum tours led by stand-up comedians and Broadway actors, and they would lead those for big companies like Google, GE, and Nike to do team building, to do something fun, like not bowling or like axe throwing, which are both fun. I like to do them. But we'd take them to the museum, to these cultural institutions, and it became a neat little you know, sort of a lifestyle business. It's not like it wasn't without headaches and our margins weren't amazing, but man, it was so much fun. Now, where is that at now? Are you, are you, you're saying it in the past tense, are you still doing it or no? I sold the company in 2019 in an interesting way. And the business now is run by what was then our director of marketing and the CEO. They kind of teamed up to buy it in a seller finance transaction. And they've just done absolutely incredible. They have taken it in a new direction, and it's bigger than I ever could have grown it. Yeah, well, congratulations to you. How many, uh, I'm going to check our chicken again real quick. How many people get to say they've had an exit like that? Uh, You know, most businesses don't even uh, make it off the ground, much less thrive and then make it to where somebody else would like to purchase it. So congratulations to you on that for sure. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay. So what temperature are you looking for on these thighs? You know, I just realized when I was standing there, I was like, I never put the temperature probes in there. So, um, you know, so probe B's already at 176, which is going to be fine for chicken. I think if I'm being honest, I have to Google it every time. I always forget the difference between pork and chicken. I think, I think it's 160, 165, something like that. Nice. Um, but You know, people tend to say, um, you know, I I like to smoke it on such and such temperature for this much time. And like, I never do it that way. I always put the temperature probes in and just know that when I get it to a certain temperature, uh, that's where you want to take it off. You've got like a zone, right? You get it past the safe zone and you've got like about 10 degrees ish before it starts to get, depending on the meat, gets dried out or starts to really affect the consistency of it. You kind of got this zone. So it's really, for me, it's not about, um, the time. Although you, obviously if you just rush it to that, then you're going to burn the outside, but it's more like kind of put it on a mediocre temperature. Like I've had this on, you know, 325, 350, two different temperatures while we were sitting here and just watching the temperature as, as we go on the, on the meat. Nice. That's helpful. 165 Fahrenheit. Once, hey, thank you, Alex. Uh, coming in 165 Fahrenheit. That's the one unit of measure that he and I can agree on because otherwise it's like, uh, no, actually, yo, you, I'm surprised you didn't give it to me in Celsius, by the way, Alex. So UK Alex. <laughs> Coming in with that, coming in with the stuff. So, um, museum hack. You ran that for a couple of years. You sold that, um, and did you immediately start writing the book, or kind of what did you do next? I'd been working on the book in the background. You know, this book started as a hobby project for my friends, where I just had a Google Doc trying to teach them. You know, because a lot of people were asking me, "Hey, how do you host these events?" I've hosted hundreds of events myself. It's how I grew my business and made so many friends. And people started to ask, I made a Google Doc, and then I sold the business and I said, okay, this is the next thing that I'm really passionate about. I I got so many benefits of it that I wanted to help other people to say, wow, how could your life be different if you were invited to more things more often, if you had an incredible group of friends that lifted you up, inspired and encouraged you, what would your life be like? Because I think a lot of people, as we run our business, you know, we do the same things with the same friends or we're close to our family and our neighbors, 
but we miss out on those bonding, networking groups, and new ideas from others. And that was my goal. And then after COVID, when I just saw this retreat, this loneliness epidemic, some people are calling it a friendship recession, mm. I really doubled down. I said, look, I'm really going to get serious about this. And my goal now is to try to get 500 people to read my book and host a party. I love it. So you've got the book going. What, what else? What's next for Nick? So I run a small family office. I do some investing. Probably about 80, 85% of my money is in um tech stocks or tech adjacent stocks. That's right. Please don't say um, crypto. Please don't say crypto. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully not, but still, yeah. it's also been a pretty tough past year for um, tech stocks, but I, um, I'm a believer. I do some investing, so I have some real estate. That, that doesn't take too much of my time. I make a couple decisions a year and hope that I don't go bankrupt. Most of my time, though, is just spent on parties. I get to talk to people hosting their first party to answer their questions, help them meet new people, things like that. That's so cool. And like I, so I want to get really reflective with you for a second because I, I you, by the way, you've been one of my favorite guests so far to talk to because you've got Jared. so much energy and like your story is so cool and the things you get into are so cool and relatable. Like who could not like Nick Gray, right? And so, thank you, Jared. If you zoom out. What do you think to you, Nick, a successful life looks like? I think successful life means you get to spend your time working on the things you want to work on. You have true freedom and flexibility in your schedule, and you get to spend it with people that you want to work with. That's what success is for me. I love that. So it's, it's freedom, of, freedom of time and the things you spend your time on, I guess, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I mean, because you've got, you've got this... I mean, you're helping people have social interactions with the book. You've got this family office thing that you're running and you're doing all this stuff. It's just, I was sort of struck with how um, uh, uncharacteristic your lifestyle is compared to the average American who's in your, probably your age bracket, right? Is most people are like walking out the door, shuffling to a job that they probably don't like. Ah, maybe, maybe in 2022, they're not walking to their job anymore or driving to their job. They're doing it at home. But a lot of people spend their time on a job that they don't see any value in or it doesn't fulfill them anymore. And I always just found that to be really sad. And I, you know, when I started my business years ago, for the first couple of years, it's always in the back of your head. Well, if this doesn't work, I'll always go. <laughs> I'll go do whatever. I, I, whatever, whatever my backup plan was. But I always had this thought, you know, that I would do that until I got to it. I, I remember. I don't remember when it was, but I remember when I had this thought in my head, like, "Holy cow! I know too much now, and I could never go back to a life where." Um, I just clocked in for somebody else and I didn't ask any questions and I wasn't actually trying to build a life that I was excited about. I sort of hit like this inflection point where I was like, no matter what happens here, I'm always going to be trying to live a life that I'm excited about and that I'm excited to tell my kids about and that's putting a dent in the universe. And I wonder, did you have a moment where you just always wired this way or did you have like an inflection moment early on where you said, nah, you know, this is the way I want to live. I want, I want to go this way instead of like the way everyone else is going. I like what you said because it encompasses the dream of entrepreneurship, right? That says, look, I want the world to be a little different. I want to work on things that I think should be better. And I, and I want to do it my way. Like I want to march to the beat of my own drum. And that's why we start businesses. I think for many people, we can't work for anyone else. We, it's just, it just doesn't feel right, right? Uh, for myself, 
I think over the last couple of years, as I had this exit and I got lucky with some other things, when I hit my number, so to speak, I think I changed my perspective on what I want to work on a little bit. And I'm still figuring that out. I'm still figuring it out. Was that always the goal, though? Did you have like, I'm climbing this ladder and then when I get to a certain point, now I've got freedom or I'm going to do it that way? Or was this sort of like you kind of bounced into it? I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. So my dad was an entrepreneur, mad scientist type, always having ideas. And I started businesses in high school. I had a web hosting company in college. I tried to start a software company. I was always doing business stuff. I don't think I ever thought about having a more traditional path. Yeah, that's good. And it makes, you know, I guess for me, I had to kind of unlearn some things, right? I spent a lot of years in, you know, as a, as a late teenager in my early 20s, just kind of working, you know, just a job that I didn't care for. I was like in the construction industry and working a job that I didn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't like swinging a hammer, but I was just doing some things that I thought, what am I, you know, what am I doing? And it took me a while to sort of realize that, you know, it takes courage to jump out and do these things. But man, like you're, you're riding the success and failure. You're in, you're in control. Right. And that is, um, you know, you learn through the recession of 2008 and all the things that have happened since then. And like, you're never really in control unless you're in control, right? I guess that's a weird way to say it, but you're never really, unless you have control, you can't, there's no such thing as security, right? Until you, unless you're actually the one with the hand on the wheel steering and making the decisions on where you're going to go. Interesting. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You want to take success into your own hands. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for being the first guest to ever allow me to have a drink on the show. Um, I would love to have you back at some point, and we can both have a drink, uh, and maybe we can throw a party together sometime. I think that'd be a lot of fun, too. Wait, wait a sec. I want to do that. I want to come to Birmingham. Yes. And if I come out there, then will you host me, and we can do a party? 100%. Any listeners could come out? I think it'd be great. 100%. Actually, that's that. We're gonna, let's make that happen, because that would be a lot of fun. Uh, the Austin to Birmingham train, bring it up here. There's no train, but the Austin to Birmingham uh, movement. And then, yeah, I would love to host it and, and have some listeners come in and have some, uh, also some guests. I've got a lot of guests that are, that are somewhat local here that we could bring in too. So let's put it, let's put it together, man. Name tags included. How cool would that be? Yeah, it would be really great. All right. If you bring the meats, I'll bring the name tags. I'll make the chicken uh, happen. Right. And we'll make sure you get some Alabama white barbecue sauce. While you're here, um, one last look there. You, what do you think? Is that something you think you could get down on? I love uh, this. Is a this is a crime. As if you're watching the YouTube right now, it is. Oh my God, I want that. So I have cheated and I've started on the chicken here. And, oh, how um, is it? I can tell you, crispy skin. We've got the sweet uh, rub from Malcolm Reed, the legend. Oh my God, I didn't have any white sauce down here. I would demonstrate the sauce dipping but it's so good you can see the um you can see the uh the dirty fingers there man oh man this is good so when you come up to birmingham we're just gonna have to do some chicken like that it's gonna be we'll hit it up we'll smoke it and we'll put some uh we'll put some white sauce on it that sounds great i'd love to do that and also we'll go to the birmingham museum of art i'm looking at it up online right now it looks fantastic uh nick 
Uh, where can people find you if they wanted to connect with you? Okay, you got to check me out. I uh, I post on social media. I'm at Nick Gray News, N-E-W-S. I have a great website where if you want to know the 19 things you can do right now for your next party, or get an executive summary of my book, you can get the PDF off there. Uh, I'll include a link in the show notes about uh, how to host a networking event, how to plan a happy hour, um, fun things like that, even like how to host a party with kids. And the name of my book, it's called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. I recorded the Audible myself. I'm pretty Whoa, proud of it. Nice. So if you like to listen to books on Audible, check it out for sure. And visit my website, www.nickgraynews.com. Check it out. I love it, Nick Gray News. And if you come up to Birmingham, uh, I'll have to get you. We'll, we'll pick a museum, and you can study it up and guide us through a museum. Right? I'll cook, and you do a mu- you do a museum hack up here, like old school. This is going to be the slow smoked business meetup. Stay tuned for the Birmingham first meetup. It's going to be epic. I love it. Thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody. Follow us on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Slow Smoke Business, and give us a give us a, a what is it a five star and a and an up rating or you know whatever. Subscribe on the podcast. We'll see you soon.